Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. Also streaming live at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 339. Today's topic is good farming versus bad farming. So the question is, what if we could heal the climate, reduce flooding, reduce droughts, prevent wildfires, restore wildlife habitat, grow nutritious food, and revive local economies simply by our decision as to what to eat and how to grow our food. All of these things and more are possible if we decide to shift our food buying decisions from a system that does not serve us very well to a system that does serve us very well. So it's about food buying and it's also about growing our food. Maybe as a result of this programming, you might decide to grow more of your food this year or next. So let's talk about the difference between good farming and bad farming. Good farming is good for our health. It's good for the water quality, the quality of our water. It's good for the climate. It's good for biodiversity and our wildlife. And good farming is good for the animals that live on the farm. And it's good for our local economy. Bad farming is the opposite of these things. It's bad for our health, bad for our water quality, bad for the climate, bad for biodiversity and wildlife, bad for the animals that live on the farm, and bad for our local economy. So let's take these one at a time. Good farming yields nutritious food and bad farming gives us bad food. One thing we have to understand is that good food comes from good soil. That's one thing. Another thing is good food is relatively fresh, but good food comes from healthy soil. All of the nutrients in the vegetables and fruits that we eat come to us from the soil. Think of iron, think of calcium, think of all the vitamins. All of those things come to us in a process that involves soil biology. Think of all the nutrients that you need. Those come to us because they were first acquired by a plant. And the plant acquired them from the soil. And the soil itself, by definition, good soil, healthy soil, is living soil. The USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, defines soil health as the continued capacity of soil to function as a vital living ecosystem that sustains plants, animals, and humans. The key phrase is vital living ecosystem. In order for the soil to be a living ecosystem, it must maintain its structure and we tend in bad farming we tend to destroy the structure of the soil with tillage with chemical fertilizers etc and we tend to destroy the living ecosystems in the soil with biocides 
such as herbicides that kill plants, fungicides that kill fungus, insecticides that not only kill the insects that you're targeting, but they kill all insects. And even if they don't cause the death of all the insects in the vicinity, they're going to degrade the insect populations and therefore degrade the quality of the soil insofar as the soil is a biologically diverse system. So all of these living things in the soil, from the bacteria to the protozoa to the fungi to the microarthropods, which is a fancy name for insects, plus spiders, plus millipedes, and then you have earthworms, and then there's these microscopic worms called ne nematodes. But healthy soil is a riot. It's a party. It's everything eating everything else. And whatever is your food, it's delivering nutrients to you. So we were, the soil has to be a living system. Otherwise, those nutrients do not get delivered. And it's no coincidence that in recent years, the nutritional value of our food has declined precipitously because although we did damaging things to the soil prior to 1950, in the post-war era starting in 1945, the practices that damaged soil were all taken to a massively new scale. Add to that the idea that we're transporting our food longer and longer distances and the purpose of food has become a longer and longer shelf life so as to generate food that is cheap and profitable but not very healthy. Let's go to item number two. Good farming leaves space for wildlife but bad farming crowds out all of the space for wildlife. So a good farm is biologically diverse. You don't see very many good farms anymore. My grandfather was a farmer, and in that era they raised both plants and animals on the same farm. So the plants fed the animals, the animals fed the plants, and there was enough surplus left over to feed the people with something to sell. Now we have farms on which you have crops like corn or soybeans, and there aren't any animals on the farm. And then you have confined animal feeding operations that are completely dedicated to raising animals in less than favorable conditions. And the confined animal feeding operations are not dedicated to growing any plants. They're only dedicated to growing animals. But a biologically diverse farm is going to have multiple kinds of livestock. You know, cows, goats, sheep, chickens, pigs, geese turkeys. It might not have all of those, but it has multiple kinds of livestock. And a biologically diverse operation is going to have, the, especially the grazing animals, they're mainly grass-fed. So if the grazing animals are grass-fed, and if you rotate them properly, then they're going to have a positive impact on the pasture, and there's going to be a place for wildflowers, which is good for pollinators. Another example of biological diversity on the farm is when you have trees. So here's a pasture and then over here is at least a fence line. And the fence line is going to have trees on it. Those trees are habitat for birds, butterflies, and bees. And all that represents biological diversity. And you have 
nutrients being exchanged in between species. And that's where good nutrition comes from and that's where ecological health comes from. Another aspect of bad farming is monocultures. So monoculture is a fancy term for a single species. Usually it's a single species crop, but it can also apply to a single species of livestock. Nature by definition is diverse, whereas a monoculture by definition is monolithic or homogeneous. It's just one thing. Thing is, nature is always trying to crowd in. So let's say you have a monoculture of corn. You have the single species of corn, nothing but corn as far as the eye can see. So so-called pests want in on that action. They see a lot of food. So when the farmer sees the pests eating the corn, he says, well, that's cutting into my profits. So I'm gonna get insecticide and I'm going to kill the pests. But when you kill the pests, you, you're going to kill every other species of insect. By contrast, a biologically diverse farm, you tend to, it tends to keep the pests in check. Not like you never have to intervene to control pests, but you do so intelligently instead of this rather unintelligent practice of killing anything that's a threat to my monoculture. Another way in which monocultures are harmful is that some livestock operations, you know, most livestock operations are going to use some form of dewormer. They just, they deworm all of the animals, irrespective of whether they have worms or not. Well, that dewormer is a biocide, and it short circuits the natural uh, cycle of, of fertilizing. It's sure, you know, whereas the animal manure would otherwise be beneficial, that manure, because of the dewormer, that manure has been deprived of much of the living things that would otherwise exist in the manure and would fertilize the pasture. Furthermore, that manure is going to be deadly to things like butterflies. All of which is to say that good farming leaves space for wildlife, whereas bad farming crowds out all the wildlife. Item number three, good farming increases the productivity of land over time, whereas bad farming degrades the productivity of land over time. Okay, so this is the climate report. Let's talk about how carbon affects the productivity of land. At any given point in time, carbon is either going from the atmosphere into the ground or it's going from the ground into the atmosphere. Thing is, carbon in the ground is a very good thing. If at all possible, you want the ground to contain something called soil organic matter, which is a form of carbon, it contains carbon, you want it to have 5% or more. You want the soil to have 5% or more of soil organic matter, if at all possible. So generally speaking, more carbon in the soil is good. Good farming is always storing more carbon in the soil because good farming, you, you, you want to store more carbon in the soil, so you plan to store more carbon in the soil. Mainly plants do that job. Plants do photosynthesis. So let's talk about photosynthesis for just a minute. Photosynthesis takes carbon dioxide out of the air, combines it with water, and then with the power of sunlight, takes all that and turns it into sugars 
and oxygen. That's how we get our oxygen, and that's also how plants get food. So the plants take about a third of their oxygen, a third of their sugars, and they put them into the soil. So the plants are exuding these sugars through their roots and the bacteria in the soil saying cake and cookies, cake and cookies, let's have a party. They think that sugar is cake and cookies and they want to come have a party. The bacteria come running and then whatever eats the bacteria, including protozoa, get involved, nematodes get involved, uh, insects get involved, and worms get involved. So things are eating other things that have sugar in them. They process that, they excrete it, they poop it out. And then finally the fungi eat and then, and then excrete. And then over the course of time, the fungi produce a substance called glomalin. Glomalin is like a glue that holds the soil organic matter together. So the fungi are excreting glomalin and they're building up the soil organic matter. The soil organic matter creates spaces for things to live in and the soil organic matter creates spaces in which water can reside. And that's how we build up the carbon content of soil. But then the process can also be reversed and if we abuse the soil, then the soil dies the living things in the soil die, and all that carbon gets released back into the atmosphere. One of the main ways this occurs is through tillage or plowing. And humans have been plowing for 10,000 years. And in the 10,000 years we've been plowing and cutting down trees, we've released a whole lot of carbon into the atmosphere. One of the untold stories in the climate conversation is how much carbon in the atmosphere is a result of plowing and deforestation. Because anytime you kill a plant, you're not only killing the plant and carbon gets released from that, but you're also, you know, that plant used to be beneficial to the soil that plant was in the process of adding carbon to the soil but then the plant is not there anymore the soil tends to die in the absence of plants and that carbon gets released back into the atmosphere the point being that carbon does more good in the ground than it does in the air so if you're doing the if you're doing the type of farming that stores carbon in the ground then that is increasing the productivity of the land over time. Remember we said that good farming increases the productivity of the land over time and bad farming degrades the productivity of the land over time. Good farming is putting carbon in the soil. Bad farming is causing the soil to give up its carbon and put it into the atmosphere. Now there should be a hidden message in here for farmers themselves. Farmers, you want, over the course of time, you want to increase the productivity of your land. So you want to practice farming methods that take carbon out of the air and put it into the soil. You want to practice the five principles of soil health, as explained by Gabe Brown in his excellent book, Dirt to Soil. Over the time, you'll increase the productivity of your land if you practice the principles of soil health.
Avoid tillage. Avoid chemical fertilizers. Avoid biocides. Try to always have living roots in the ground. Try to have a diversity of plants. Try to never let soil be bare on a large scale. And, not least of all, incorporate animals into the animals, you know, animals or animal products in the soil, either through compost or through grazing or spreading manure. So practice the principles of soil health, and over the course of time, you will be storing carbon in the ground where it can do some good. Item number four, bad farming or good farming cleans the water and bad farming pollutes the water. Again, that's, this gets back to how we treat the soil. Good soil contains water. Good soil is made to absorb water. Good soil is like a sponge. Good carbon-rich soil is like a sponge. It soaks up water and then allows the water to percolate, that is to move slowly through the ground, where it gets released gradually into the streams and waterways. Because land can function to clean the water. Land functions to clean the water when the land and the plants on top of the land make the water travel through a circuitous route. They make the water take the long way around. You don't want water to go rushing into the streams. The worst thing that can happen to a raindrop is to go rushing into the stream because it's going to be dirty and polluted and it's going to be part of a flood and it's going to be too warm for the stream, too warm for the stream ecosystem. We want water to go into the ground and take a good, take its own sweet time to travel through the ground. And when it's traveling through the ground ever so slowly, that's how impurities get removed. Good farming sets the stage for this. Good farming has some trees Good farming has a diversity and a variety of plants. A good farm is going to have over a hundred kinds of plants. By contrast, bad farming pollutes the water because let's, let's talk about tillage. Let's talk about these endless fields of GMO corn, genetically modified corn, genetically modified soybeans, some of them are no-till situations. Some of them do not use tillage, but many of them do. And when you use tillage, you're grinding up the soil. The soil becomes a kind of powder, and then it rains. And the rain is going to wash that soil into the streams and, and waterways. One major form of water pollution is the soil that gets eroded into the waterways. Another major form of pollution is the nitrogen fertilizers. The nitrogen fertilizers are water soluble, so when it does rain, or even when the field gets irrigated, most, most of the nitrogen fertilizer washes off of the field and into the waterways. Most nitrogen fertilizer does not benefit the plants that it's supposed to benefit. 
So here we see two major ways that bad farming pollutes the water. Here's a third way that bad farming pollutes the water. Let's talk about confined animal feeding operations. So confined animal feeding operations, just what it sounds like, you have lots of animals crowded into a small space. Lots of animals crowded into a small space produce lots and lots of manure, lots and lots of urine, and they really don't have good ways of processing all this. In theory, in theory, you could take that and mix it with some wood chips and turn it into some kind of compost, but that's in theory. In practice, nobody wants to do that, and there's too much to do it economically. Of course, somebody is picking up the tab, so one person's economics is another person's costs, and we're paying for the cost of confined animal feeding operations with our health, with environmental degradation, etc. But that's how bad farming pollutes the water. Animals in confined feeding operations produce a whole lot more sewage than do people. But when it comes to people's sewage, we have these regulations that, imperfect though they are, they at least try to address the problem of water pollution, whereas confined animal feeding operations are not subject to any of those regulations. And, you know, the farmers try to do something with it, and some of them succeed, but too many of them fail to clean the water before it gets into our waterways. So good farming cleans water, bad farming pollutes the water. Item number five, good farming needs minimal amounts of fossil fuels, whereas bad farming maximizes the use of fossil fuels. The, the use of fossil fuels in farming is a major untold story in the climate conversation. When you hear people talk about what's the solution to climate change, what do you think about? You think about solar panels, you think about wind turbines, you think about electric cars, all of which by no coincidence are profitable corporate products. And these messages come to us overwhelmingly through commercial media, even the nonprofit media like Inside Climate News is funded by major corporations that profit from fossil fuels, not just the fossil fuel companies, but the, the food companies, the car companies, the defense contractors. But at the end of the day, money talks, and the people that deliver the news to us are not giving us a clear picture of what it would actually take to solve the problem of climate change. But you have all this rhetoric about going after the fossil fuel companies, which nobody's willing to do anyway, but we're not talking about the, comp the, the companies and the systems that consume massive amounts of fossil fuel and near the top of the list is agriculture. For example, nitrogen fertilizers are made from a nitrogen fixing process called the Haber-Bosch process, which was developed in the early 20th century by two Germans named Haber and Bosch. And it takes approximately nine or 10 calories of 
of fossil fuel in the form of natural gas to fix enough nitrogen fertilizer to produce one calorie of food. So we have all this energy going into the production of food and we get out of it 10% of the food energy that we're putting into it in the form of fossil fuel energy. It need not be that way. We do not have to produce our food in a process that takes way more fossil fuel energy as compared with the food energy we get out of it. We could be getting our food from processes that take a half a calorie of fossil fuel to produce 10 calories of food energy. And it would be a lot better for the environment if we did it that way. But you hear people say, we have to feed the world. Well, that's a whole other conversation. But you don't feed the world by degrading the land that produces the food. And all this rhetoric about feeding the world comes from people that have no intention, no real concern for feeding the world. It's just rhetoric to get farmers to produce more, which is bad for the farmers because overproduction is bad for the farmers because overproduction causes the prices to go down. And every year, th countless thousands of family farms get sold because farming is, is hard because of overproduction. Besides, if we wanted to feed the world, we would, we would acknowledge that most food currently gets produced on, you know, se something like 70% of the food gets produced on 30% of the land. And that 70%, that 30% of the land happens to be small organic farms. So you have small, this is in an article on grain.org, G-R-A-I-N.org. It's based on the United States, United Nations Food and Agriculture organization. Vandana Shiva talks about this with some regularity. But you have small organic farms which take up 30% of the land producing 70% of the food. It only follows naturally that, hey, over here you've got big massive industrialized farms that take up 70% of the land but they're only producing 30% of the food. That's messed up. So we could say that good farming produces most of the food and bad farming just pretends to produce food. I've got a couple of minutes left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So we've been talking about good farming versus bad farming. And it sounds simplistic to say that over here there's one type of farming that is categorically good and over here there's another type of farming that's categorically bad. It sounds simplistic, but it really kind of amounts to that. There's not very much in between. And the factors that, that make good farming good tend to go together. And the factors that make bad farming bad tend to go together. The factors that make bad farming bad tend to re revolve around you know, treating the soil bad, only having one crop or one type of livestock, producing a lot of pollution, and not producing very much nutritious food. So why is it set up that way? It's mainly organized by and for a few big companies. This is the agribusiness corporations, and this is also the, the companies that produce so-called food, the big restaurant chains, the big grocery chains, and the companies that manufacture vending machine food. So bad farming and bad food and, and all the pollution that's associated with it is organized by and for a few big players. It is not organized by or for the people. The good news is that you can make a difference 
bite by bite by what you decide to eat. Try to get your food locally and know your farmer. That's all the time we have. Thanks so much for joining me. Have a great day.